Hello friends, this is an interesting episode with Tanner O'Connell, who's a good friend of mine. He is a good champion of the idea of going into the KPMG grad program, even if you don't intend to stay there. Even if you have no intention of being an accountant for the, uh, for your, your full career, even if you don't know what you want to do, um, but you are curious about the way businesses work, this guy has learned a ton in KPMG, uh, gotten a lot out of their grad program, knew i think uh not too far into it that it wasn't something he was going to commit to for the duration of his career but it just he really uh, gives a praise for what good footing it gave him in getting into where he is now which is venture capital private equity uh, investing so uh, hopefully it's an interesting episode and hopefully it does paint kpmg in good light as well hey guys welcome back to the grad life podcast i'm delighted today to have an old friend of mine tanner o'connell on tanner thanks for joining mark thanks a million for having me so we're going to uh, pick up with Tanner. Tanner is a venture capitalist, private office investor, private equity type character, and a character he is. But we're going to pick him up in uh, Commerce, in UCD, where he was a year ahead of me. So when you were in Commerce, like you were always very driven, very switched on. What was your mindset like when you were doing that? I'd say in terms of going into Commerce, my mindset was that I was always interested in business from a young age. Wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but viewed Commerce as the best option because it kept kind of my, my windows and, and doors open. Um, to say I was very driven in commerce, like I'm not sure about that. I feel like I got a lot out of college life generally in terms of, uh, you know, being class rep and involved in societies. Was I really driven? Was I doing all the case studies and those kind of extracurriculars? Probably not. But um, yeah, I feel like I got a lot out of kind of college experience generally. I forgot that you were a class rep. Do you get much out of that? Like when people do, is it worth going for it? Yeah, so I found it really worthwhile just in terms of getting to know lots of people in your course and getting you set up from day one, kind of establishing a bit of a network for you. Like I would have known a good few people going into commerce, but not a huge amount. So uh, great to get to know people. Yeah, okay. But you, you don't kind of like get introduced to companies or anything like, you know, from a jobs perspective, it's not really an advantage to be going into it. Uh, I wouldn't say so. No, I'd say that like it's it's something that's a nice to have on your CV as well. It's probably the the best way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Now, whether you like to admit it or not, I do remember you being because you're always ambitious and always kind of driven and had your uh, head screwed on. You ended up going into big four. How did you arrive at that decision, and what was that decision journey like for you? Did you consider loads of things, or were you always on that finance track? I would say I've always been on the business track right back to even when I was a child. That was really all I had considered. I, I, at that stage, I definitely wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I had the benefit that my brother Blair, who's 10 years older than me, had gone down the accounting route with PwC. So that kind of gave me insights into both your time there and what your options would be subsequently. So with that in mind, and then having Blair to maybe provide some additional context on the different departments in a big four i applied for um transaction services in kpmg and was lucky enough to be accepted onto their graduate program so within transaction services you're talking about working on merger and acquisition deals so you're talking about financial due diligence uh, vendor due diligence and it gives you kind of a a good initial commercial uh, awareness is probably the best way to put it. Okay, so company X is going to buy company Y. They hire KPMG to make sure company Y is worth the money they're paying for it. That sort of thing. Yeah. That's exact. So you guys go into company Y and just get, you know, rip all the chairs out and make sure it is what it says it is. Exactly. Interesting. Very good insight into what a business is made up of and how it's valued then. 
yeah like in terms of the the skills you acquire you know you do some financial modeling you get very good at attention to detail from both a numbers perspective and from uh you know finding out what's in there and not missing anything important um yeah and you, you learn just generally about the structure of companies how deals are structured which kind of in what i've done subsequently has been really beneficial and i've only maybe appreciated it after the event okay so Zooming out here, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Mergers where two companies join together, uh, acquisitions where company X buys company Y. That's probably the most prestigious and most high-paying area of investment banking. Uh, and it, when people casually throw around the term investment banking, that's specific activity is what they're referring to. If you look at the M&A landscape, you've got in an investment bank, you've got the advisory team who advise company X. Well, you could buy company Y, A or B, and this is what we think. And you'll have a principal team who actually invest in these businesses. Is that right? Yep. And then with like out of those banks then, or like aside from the banks, where what else do you have in the landscape? You've transaction services in the big four. You have valuation companies who would independently come and value. How are they separate to the big four's teams? So you've kind of covered off a lot of points there that are dealt with in different departments within the big four. So right. probably the best way to put it is that Corporate finance is a relatively broad area where you're involved in the start to finish of the cycle. So if you're acting on the, let's say the sell side, you're engaged to try and sell this company and you're involved right through from the person appointing you to help them sell their, sell their company to the company actually been sold. Transaction services is kind of, let's call it maybe in the middle of the deal, whereby you go in and do the due diligence. Again, it can be either for the buy side or the sell side, but you produce a report then that it's not advising whether you should buy or sell or not buy or sell, but it's providing the information to the, the party that has engaged you. Okay, independently. Yeah. Okay, and then they go on and carry out and then... Uh, the KPMGs of the world would get a fee based, just an upfront fee, presumably, for services provided. Yeah, like from from a transaction services perspective, the best way to think of it is you're not you're not necessarily advising. You're providing the information to help them make the best decisions and ultimately do the best deal for themselves. Right. Okay. Being as uh, as objective as you can, is that one of the more prestigious teams in KPMG or in any of these big four setups to be in? Well, the, I suppose to put it in context, KPMG, when I was when I was joining anyway, they take on in and around 300. I think it's broadly around the same number now. And transaction services take on three people each year. So it's it's definitely smaller. And by virtue of the fact that quite a lot of people want to do it, and I put corporate finance in the same bracket as that, it can be more difficult to get into okay and you did it from commerce not from like economics and finance not some not from something really really maths or finance intensive was that were you behind in that sense or would it help to be really kind of numerical or financially educated i suppose if i think back from an actual college curriculum perspective i think i would have enjoyed economics and finance more than commerce from a learning and getting the most out of a perspective um did I feel behind? No, probably not. You just you pick up and you learn quickly. Um, but if you were to kind of retrospectively make the decision, economics and finance is probably a more suitable course for somebody to go on and do um, corporate finance or, or transaction services. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So we know what you went on and did. Um, 
what do other people go on and do from there? Obviously, some people stay in there and they go on and become manager, director, partner, whatever. But if you were to leave that team, what paths are open to you? Like private equity, investment banking, I assume? Yeah. Again, it's probably one of the reasons that I w- was very happy to go down this route. Like I I probably knew in my heart of hearts that I, I wouldn't be sending KPMG for my, for my career just because I kind of wanted to do other things. But I think that's the real beauty that combination of getting your professional qualification the uh, chartered accountancy exams and the skill set you get it's it's quite a, a broad general skill set that can enable you to go on and do lots of things afterwards so i think that's the real beauty of it it's it's not that y- you do this and then you can go on and do a b or c mm. i think there's really you can really turn your hand at anything yeah it's pretty cool uh the other two that you joined with what are they doing now um, so w- one of them is in something similar to, well, b- both of them actually are in jobs broadly similar to, to what I'm doing. Right. Okay. Interesting. That's probably a good point to dive in that. What are you up to now? So you left KPMG, you got a, like, it's a class job. Um, tell us about it. Tell us about the job and the company. Yeah. So after my, my three years in KPMG, I decided to leave, um, on the basis that it, it wasn't for me. I feel I'd learned a lot got a lot of benefit from it and like I have a lot of colleagues who've stayed on and you know are building great careers mm. in KPMG but I didn't know what I wanted to do so I ultimately left bravely or foolishly not knowing what my next step was took a little bit of time off then really kind of on a full-time basis started thinking about what I wanted to do and how I was going to make that happen so what I honed in on was that I wanted to get as much commercial experience and exposure as quickly as possible the idea of an investment or buy side role appealed to me. And then thirdly, um, I latched onto the idea of an executive assistant role on the basis that I'd heard this was something that, and and read and heard stories about that this was something that the likes of Michael O'Leary and Dennis O'Brien had done for Tony Ryan in Guinness Peter Aviation. So I was, that was kind of my starting point. And on the basis of this, I consider I was very lucky to meet Alan Merriman and for Alan to have offered me the role as his executive assistant in Elkstone. How did you meet him? Initially through a recruiter, had a 45-minute interview with him in a shared office space in Dublin and got the offer very soon afterwards. Nice. Okay. That's a good example of uh, young people don't tend to use recruiters as much as they should. Like it's get someone else to do your job search for you. Like it, it, it goes a long way. Um, well, it's, it's something that I would actually say that I did quite well. And it was partly because I was doing it on a full-time basis. I spoke to as many people doing as many different jobs as possible, whether they're yeah. investment people, recruiters, and I really cast the net very far and wide. So that'd be something I definitely encourage everyone to do. Yeah. I remember asking one of my, uh, lecturers in college before leaving what they thought the best job I could do was and they said executive assistant why do you think it works so well for Ryan and or for O'Leary and O'Brien and why do you think EA is such a good footing uh, early on in one's career I think the fact that you're you have your finger on the pulse of everything that senior executives are doing so you learn what they do on a daily basis. You learn their routines. You learn how they think. You learn how they kind of try to negotiate challenges. So as a result, you start to 
kind of learn how to think and behave like them which is kind of you know it's a fast track in terms of getting exposure to that i feel like if you were in maybe a larger more structured organization it might be more difficult to get as much time with the the really senior people at a relatively young age that's such an interesting idea i never really have talked about this before but i think about it you've got like this people talk about you learn a lot as a grad you learn skills like i don't know coding or uh, quantitative skills whatever you learn about yourself which is key as well but to learn in terms of like behavioral modeling from being around people who are in a position you want to be in down the line and just through osmosis taking in the behaviors and the approaches the attitudes this sort of thing the styles that's so educational it's such a powerful education well i suppose it's it's one of those things even in a i think it's in a personal capacity that people say you become a blend of the 10 people who you spend most of your time with so i suppose if you do you know draw the parallel to your to your professional life or world the same you know probably stands yeah it's mad do you so ryan when he took on those two always insisted that they were chartered accountants before he took them on and o'leary actually as you know started off in what is now kpmg but how can someone go straight from college into that role how would you recommend they they try that that's a difficult one um even for myself you know in the period i was i was looking at the type of roles i described this was the only executive assistant role that actually that i came across so it's a difficult one but i would say the best chance that you have is it goes back to again cast the net far and wide talk to as many people as you possibly can a warm referral whether regardless of what it's for is the best way to maybe eke out an opportunity that ordinarily wouldn't come to you yeah okay i can picture a couple of students out there thinking hearing this and thinking okay this all sounds great but what about my cv like it's just going to say i'm an executive assistant that A, doesn't sound that prestigious, and B, is uh, loose. It, it's spoofier than I'm a grade one accountant, grade two accountant, grade three accountant, boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? Now, my argument to them would be forget your CV and think about the product that is you that will show up at the interview. And someone who's done EA for years will have so much to talk about, much more than someone who's followed a rigid or, or uh, structured kind of regime. What would be your answer? I would I'd very much agree with what you've said that it's it's the substance of the role mm. not the title and even within Elkstone or with Alan title isn't a big thing it's it's what you can do and yeah. you know titles can can change or can evolve over time yeah and imagine for them I often joke but I'm only half joking nobody gets catfished more than graduate recruiters or grad employers because some grad shows up saying that he or she's the bee's knees and they've ticked all the boxes. But they can't actually speak to any of those things on a deep level because they weren't really engaged in it. So you got grad A, grad B. Grad A did the program and ticks all the boxes. Grad B was an EA and young Tanner. And he's done, he's been there for, he's been in the room for all of these deals or transactions and he's seen the raw reactions and had to put up with them and, and have his own reaction to them. The, the education is so much deeper. That when young Tanner shows up against whoever, young Mark, who went down the system, Tanner's just going to have so much more to say for himself and about the role, I think. Uh, it's a cool start. Yeah, and you asked me the question earlier on about um, kind of my educational background and did that did I feel like I was, I was up against it joining KPMG. I would say that when you go into an executive assistant role, 
it's very difficult irrespective of what you've done beforehand to be qualified to do it like it is honestly a rapid learning curve whereby you have to take in absolutely everything that's happening on all dimensions of the business and really you can't have any familiarity with any of it and then on top of that you're trying to get up to speed from a technical perspective as well so the first i would say six to 12 months is a as rapid a learning curve as i can imagine kind of going through what's the main skill or trait either learned or natural that people can go in uh, to this with the key skill is to be this key skills are to be as flexible adaptable and agile and just ability to learn very very quickly without any instruction or context context so on occasions you may be put in to deputize in a situation whereby you don't have the context you don't know the people you don't know the characters and you just have to be able to kind of get through that survive and you know come out the far end mm. i'd imagine thinking for yourself is a big one as well like because alan will text you saying hey take care of that problem over there and there's no definition on this is how to take care of it you need to your own judgment to figure out yeah. what that means being a problem solver and being able to just approach things logically kind of play it as you see it and make the best decision you can is absolutely key it's class it must be so exciting i remember dennis o'brien saying that he um like one day would have to i don't know go and look at a plane for tony ryan or something something to do with gpa then the next day would be off down in tipperary have to buy a flock or whatever a herd of cattle (laughs) And fill up a field full of these cattle and make sure they fit the field well. All of a sudden, like Monday morning, he was an airplane guy. Number Tuesday, he had to be an educated farmer and go off that. <laughs> like as in it was, it could be chaotic. But if you like chaos, it's probably a very startupy environment actually compared to KPMG. Uh, well, it's a really startupy environment because you know the Elkstone, the wider group itself, is ultimately in some senses still a, a startup in terms of its kind of entrepreneurial DNA. Yeah. Um, but like it's definitely not just a job you could not do this unless you really really wanted to do it but for me that's great because it is it is kind of the type of role that i i wanted to do um but no it's yeah it's 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 i won't say all consuming but it's more consuming than a, a an ordinary kind of what you might consider traditional job got you okay i wanted just to get for fun to get the word if it's not a job what is it what is it? I think it's it's a bigger component. I don't know if there's a word for it, but it's a bigger component of your life. It's not yeah. just something that's compartmentalized. That's over to decide that you kind of park like you. I I feel I'm probably never completely switched off. You're always thinking about work from some angle, even if it's in the very back of your subconscious. Yeah, I feel the same, and I'm just trying what my word would be. My analogy is that like you just you you're happiest on the pitch. And you don't want to leave the pitch at five and chill out after. You want to just keep staying on the pitch. Like, it's a really engaging thing. Uh, they talk about work-life balance uh, against that. That's my argument against work-life balance, that I literally prefer doing that. Like, I love this stuff. Do you feel the same, or is it kind of... Does, it probably comes and goes for everyone. I'd say that whatever your, your work is going to be for the course of your career, it takes up a very chunky piece of your time Mm. over your lifetime so doing something that you enjoy now look nobody loves every aspect of their job but that you broadly enjoy feel it's fulfilling and you know you enjoy the process like i think that's absolutely key to being firstly happy 
and secondly successful because i think it's very hard to be successful at something that you really innately don't like yeah totally uh i i couldn't agree with that more i want to write an article soon called in defense of the climbers because our generation has this thing against working really hard and they think it should be all uh you know work-life balance and everybody chill and they don't respect people who are trying to climb the corporate ladder essentially as a generation we don't respect that the way i kind of think about it is they would respect someone if they said hey i'm going to go off and climb everest people on the corporate thing are climbing their own everest it's a not a physical one it's it's whatever word you would apply to it but it's invisible but it very much is a climb that they enjoy doing and it's engaging and it's challenging and it's all these other things that everest would be but we don't respect it the way we respect the other yeah i I understand what you mean if i'm i understand what you mean i'd broadly agree with you but if i was to talk about myself i wouldn't view it as climbing a corporate ladder at all i'd view it as improving yourself and kind of growing into a role that can become what you want it to be like for instance my role in elkstone has evolved over time to like you have the, the wider Elkstone group, but I'm actually employed to run uh, Alan Merriman's personal investment vehicle, Elkstone Capital. So the best way to think of it is it's a, a single family office within a multifamily office. So a multifamily office being a professional investment business with lots of wealthy wealthy families or, or um, individuals. So like I certainly wouldn't consider that I'm on a, a corporate ladder. It's more that... By working hard, gaining Alan's trust, you grow into the role and then your your opportunities evolve from that. I feel that the corporate ladder analogy, maybe in some big companies that's the case, but it wouldn't be something that would appeal to me. It would apply to me, I think. Like being even though it's startups, there's still a ladder there of moving up the chain and I just I find it so engaging. I really do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it despite our generation's inherent values or uh, attained values yeah i i think we're probably saying the same thing but using different words that it's kind of people who are openly very ambitious about what they want to achieve in their career and people who who aren't or have different priorities kind of taking a a dim view on on that approach to life so working in a family office is something that no one ever hears about in college what's it like like so you have a set amount of money that you have to work with you're told presumably where to invest it, invest that in real estate, invest that in startups, invest that in the stock market. Is that how it works? Yeah, so family offices in Ireland are very rare, if not unique to to, um, Elkstone, particularly in the the multifamily office setting. Um, Within the wider Elkstone group, we have three main verticals. So venture, where we invest in early stage uh, startups, both Irish and international, um secondly the real estate vertical where we invest in projects which could be anything from student accommodation housing developments apartment developments and thirdly the the wealth management wing whereby we provide very bespoke and tailored services to let's call them our particularly high net worth uh, families so we invest in those three or we put services in those three areas but we'd also in advise our clients particularly in the third uh, bucket what way like we'd look at their overall asset allocation and advise them what way they should be spreading their chips across 
different asset classes. Yeah, okay. So you do analysis on those markets that you mentioned, and then analysis on the startup market is largely soft. It's probably largely gone out and meeting founders and seeing what they're up to and going to events. Is that right? Is that the kind of stuff you're doing? Particularly in the, the early stage, whereby like we would typically invest in companies that are anywhere from an idea on a piece of paper to series a in the irish context so yes you're you're right in the sense that there's not a very very detailed financial analysis because these companies are young and you know often pre-revenue but we would certainly do robust due diligence on the companies but the due diligence like for instance the founders and the founding team you're ultimately doing a due diligence on them and how you think they'll perform over time. So it's it's a different type of um, of due diligence. Yeah, okay. Are you, you're probably not allowed to talk about any of the wins you've had. I know you've had a couple of wins. Are you able to talk about them or the names of them? So we've had a couple of companies who are well-known, you know, the likes of we, that we've invested in, um, Let's Get Checked, Flipdish, Mana, Drones, um, Soapbox Labs, They'd be probably some of the ones that, you know, you may have read about yeah, in the media. They've as all done recently. like really well. So it's class to be, you know, I know you work with the founders of those companies who are all, you know, mercurially talented people as well. That's a huge plus of the job, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it goes back again to the, you were asking about the executive assistant role um, at the start. It, it just puts you in a position whereby you get to meet a range of very interesting, very talented, very exciting, smart people quite quickly. And they're spread across like a range of different industries and sectors. So like, absolutely, it's it's a great part of the job. It's a class thing. Uh, venture capital, we're going to loosely call it that. Now we know it's not exactly that that you're doing, but it, we'll just throw it in the bucket. What skills do people need for that? Because if it is, as you say, like pre-series A, it's largely you need to be good at drinking coffee. But then chatting <laughs> the founder. Oh, no, I'd say reading people is the key actual thing there. And uh, beyond that, is it very quantitative or, again, financial skills? Are they coming back in? For sure, they're they're very important. Um, again, you don't need to be a rocket scientist from a modeling perspective. But yes, you need to be very competent and capable of understanding the business and understanding the business's financial model. Yeah, okay. What should people want? People going into this job, what would they want out of life? What I would say is, again, going back to what we'd spoken about earlier, that you have to really want to do this. I think that to be very good at it, it cannot be just a job that you're doing. You have to have a, a real desire to an interest to learn more about venture companies and capital structures and how the fundraising process works. Because in the Irish context, getting into a, a venture type role, the roles are very, very rare and the competition will be absolutely fierce to get into them. Yeah. So you're going to have to dis- differentiate yourself across the board on everything. Yeah, okay. Um, you can see that every young VC in Ireland seems to know each other and they're all pretty outstanding individuals. The reason everybody can know each other is because it's it's quite small. I know you've had um, Finn and, Finn and Killian, Killian and on the yeah. podcast before. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Is there advice or like even a resource that people can look at uh, to help them get upskilled here? Or is it kind of just do your 
finance homework and then maybe go to a couple of startup events and start seeing what the landscape is like? I think the, for somebody looking to get into VC, I think you need to have, we've already spoken about the interest, but you need to have taken action on that interest. So whether it's be involved in one of the startup seller accelerators or founded a company during college. I know again, Finn spoke about that, that yeah. he had been involved in founding companies. Um, you know, be reading the like Silicon Republic and keeping up to date on what deals are happening, what the key emerging trends are. So uh, difficult to give advice, but I actually think you have to be doing everything across the board because there's just such fierce competition. That is, I think underlying that is very strong advice. This interest has to be real. Like if you're exactly. not doing, if you have to force that, it's probably not for you. Like the, the person who comes in and is naturally inclined towards it. They're just going to outpace you and you, you won't survive. Absolutely agree. And to to kind of bring it back to my own position, the fact that I had taken the time off to really evaluate what I wanted to do, it meant that when I went into the interview, I was giving the real reasons and yeah. proper thought out answers as to why this was actually what I wanted to do as opposed to thinking, well, what does this person want to hear or mm. what, what do I think they want? And that's something that can't really be feigned. Yeah. People will do this because, as you say, they're interested in the tech scene. Why would they do this instead of going into a tech company? It's probably difficult to give a, a very general answer without knowing the specifics. Yeah. Like, they're too... I, I've never worked in a tech company um, I can't really give insights into that, but I feel that it's it would be quite a different job, quite a different environment. So, yeah, it's one I'd feel I'm probably not very well placed to give a yeah a, okay a well thought out answer on. I'm just I'm what they would have in common is chaos for sure, and having a not knowing what's happening tomorrow kind of vibe about <laughs> it. And you have to like that. I mean, I know people and as you who would absolutely hate that. Like they couldn't deal with that at all. And it's not, I, I say couldn't deal with it. That's not, we're better than them. We, I couldn't deal with what they do. Like it's literally just horses for courses. People are just meant for different things. But that probably is one of the, the common things. If you're looking for that, either of these options might give it to you. Do you think? Yeah, like I would say that in, in some senses they're similar in that they're both, they both have a big tech bias. But I would say beyond that, they're very different. Like the tech companies again a lot of them particularly big ones in dublin it's a very very different environment going in to work in google where there's i don't know how many hundred people yeah. versus going to work in a in a small smaller shop hmm. yeah so everything i just said applies to small tech and startups not the googles and stuff <laughs> of the world that would be much more uh, kind of organized and yeah rigid like <laughs> what else am i going to say um interesting so Getting into the quick fires then, uh, is there anything you wish you did in college that you didn't do? I would say, I actually feel like I really enjoyed college, got a lot out of it, but if I was to have done more, I would love to have done some of the project-based stuff, like um, whether there's some kind of case study projects yeah. or uh, Washington Ireland program, I know is something a lot of people speak very, very highly of, so extracurriculars that don't purely have a social bend to them <laughs> yeah. oh, the ones that are off, off hardcore street yeah the, i i often say that as well i think we know people who've gotten a lot out of that just not like from any material thing just they grew as people it was a pretty interesting thing to do um 
so I would echo that for sure. Is there a book or anything that you would recommend people read? I really enjoyed um, Steve Schwarzman's uh, It Takes, or um, What It uh, Yeah, What It Takes. Uh, yeah, What It Takes, what it exactly. Takes, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So he's the guy who um, founded Blackstone. Mm. And I just feel from a, a life learnings and from a things, it, it's essentially him reflecting over his career and what he learned and his experiences. And I just think that's invaluable and it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, so he's one of two most three most successful VC or PE guys in history. Exactly. That's cool. I haven't. Uh, have you have you uh, read it? No, I know like a lot about him. I haven't read it because it came out at the same time as Bob Iger's, and I read that. Um, I did. It was was one or the other. I bought Iger's just because I have an interest in Iger as well. Um, but that's cool. Yeah, that's actually a good reminder for me. I need to get onto that as well. Um, any key advice that you've been given that has helped you kind of guide you along the way the most key advice but it's probably very specific to my situation was when i taken that time off to decide what i wanted to do i was probably getting to the stage where i was getting a little bit frustrated that like what i wanted wasn't happening and i was putting a lot of effort into it but just been told to stay the course and you know wait for the wait for the ball to break in your favor rather than maybe settling for something else was it tempting to settle i won't say it was tempting to but as time drags on not settling becomes maybe more difficult yeah <laughs> oh jesus okay and then uh, lastly <laughs> is there a politician's answer um <laughs> well like what i'd say is that if if i was to have settled and gone to do something that i didn't want to do it would make that the wrong decision to have made the decisions I took in the first instance. Yes, so yeah, if okay. you make a decision based on the information available at a point in time, stick with that decision mm. rather than quitting when the going gets a little bit tough. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I've never actually, I've literally never looked at it from that way because your, your second decision totally devalues your first decision, which was the underlying or overall. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, is there a term for that, no? In finance or anything? If there is, I don't know it. <laughs> right. And lastly then, uh, a quote to live by. I, I don't really have a quote and I've, I've listened to you ask this question to other people, so maybe I should have gone and, and thought of one. What I would say is in your career and in life that if you're not enjoying the process or the day-to-day -day, you're only kidding yourself the idea that oh tomorrow i'll get the job i want or tomorrow i'll be better financial position so i'll take the risk with that startup i i think that's the easy that's kind of the easy way out but i think you really have to have a conviction that you're trying to eke out the very best out of yourself in in every mm. aspect of your life so to boil that down to in, in, enjoy day to day and give everything your very best shot i would often say that if you for people uh for anyone anyone should really try to do what they love or it's something that genuinely just interests them and they enjoy every day yeah but for the people who want to make money over the long run they have no choice but to do what they love because they will not make any money you might make a bit in the short run but yeah. you will like you won't stay the course if you want to make money in the long run you of all people need to stick to that advice. Yeah. That's my take. Tanner O'Connell, you're a wise man. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. Really enjoyed it.